This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked, IGN's weekly Xbox show. This is episode 581. It is February 8th, 2023, as we record this. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined as always by Stella Chung. How are Good and sad, but, you know, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that, yeah. yeah. From the headline uh, of this episode, people already are clued in to, to why you're, you're a little sad, and yes. me too. Cat uh, Bailey from IGN, our news director. Glad to have her sitting in. Hello from Nintendo Land. I'm sad too. Bring back Titanfall. <laughs> rabble, rabble. <laughs> yeah, hang on to that. Those those thoughts of of uh, <laughs> sadness and frustration. We will we will channel them shortly. And then uh, somebody who I've traded a million tweets with, talked on Twitter with a lot. But this is actually my first time face to face with this gentleman, Gene Park from the Washington Post. Gene, welcome. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, I'm such big fans of literally all three of you. So, and this is the first time where we all get to like interact other than just tweets. So I'm super excited. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, you are quite welcome. Uh, you came dressed to speak to <laughs> one of the topics this week. We're going to talk about MLB, the show 23, but I have to pause as a, as a big baseball fan myself. And I, cat might be calling, calling foul on, on this as well. You, you're rocking two different teams simultaneously right now washington nationals on on the head and the new york yankees on the chest explain yourself gene clearly i'm not a golfing fan so uh. <laughs> sports bigamy uh, how dare you <laughs> uh i like baseball um i i love i i you know i'm i live in washington dc so i love the fact that i actually live in a really really big baseball town yeah. I used to live in Anaheim, uh, you know, back when they were used to be called the Anaheim Angels. So I used to watch their games all the time, too. But I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to teams. Uh, you know, I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown uh, a few years back, and I needed a jacket. And I saw the New York Yankees jacket, and I was like, I like their colors, and I need a jacket right now. So yeah. I just bought the jacket. So Fair uh, enough. Wearing the jacket around DC gets me a lot, a lot of bad looks. Um, <laughs> I'm glaring at you right now, Gene. How dare yes, Kat, you? Our resident Minnesota Twins fan, her team in particular has been on the wrong end of how many consecutive playoff beatdowns oh, from the Yankees? Kat? Don't I, even want to know. It's humiliating <laughs> for like 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I'm an Arizona sports fan, so I've, I've, I'm used to losing. I'm used to being, being, uh, pessimistic and it reminds me of anyway. another washington team the generals unfortunately <laughs> oh my goodness all right well real quick before we get started i just want to mention this month's ign first our, our month-long sort of cover story as we refer to it we're not a magazine but you know we do the best we can to bring you a magazine cover story like approach to each month's ign first and this month uh the delay of this video game could not stop us the game is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Mitchell Saltzman and I were down at Respawn a week and a half ago or so now. Got to play a whole bunch of it and talk to the Respawn team. The first piece is up now as we record. It's nine minutes of new gameplay showing off a new planet called Kobo from early in the campaign. You got to check that out. We're going to have plenty more all February long, so uh, don't miss that. Uh, speaking of EA, which is publishing, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Let's get right into it with 
our title subject. The let's let's get the let's get the sadness out of the way first before we can get back to the fun <laughs> stuff. A secret single player Titanfall game has been reportedly canceled by EA. Uh, this comes via our friend Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. And the IGN summary of it reads as such, EA is currently in the midst of a slew of cancellations and closures, the latest being a previously unknown project codenamed TFL or Titanfall Legends, a secret single player game set in the Titanfall and Apex Legends universe. News was first reported by Bloomberg. Not much is known about Titanfall Legends, save that it was reportedly directed by Mohamed Alavi, who served as a designer on the Titanfall games among other projects, and Alavi had departed EA last early last year. The cancellation coincides with the closure, closure of the mobile versions of Apex Legends and Battlefield, as well as the shuttering of Industrial Toys uh, Studio. According to Bloomberg, roughly 50 developers were affected by the Titanfall Legends cancellation. EA will reportedly try to place them in other positions within the company. And as we now must sadly remind you, Titanfall's last solo outing was in 2016. Uh, Titanfall 2 initially, as we all know by now, did not sell super well, but subsequently gained one heck of a following thanks to its absolutely sublime single-player campaign and design. Well, uh, I'll start with our guest, Gene Park. Your thoughts, Gene, on on just another year going by where we are clearly not going to get more Titanfall uh, on the single player or any side of the equation here. Yeah, I'm actually literally tearing up as you were <laughs> saying all of that stuff. Uh, and I'm getting reminded of what I read from reports from Jason and also uh, Jeff Grubb of uh, VentureBeat. Uh, where they were talking about the return of BT, uh, the very beloved um, Titan companion that you get throughout the campaign. Uh, Titanfall 2 has really... Uh, there was a tweet by a mutual friend of mine on Twitter where he says that Titanfall 2 seems like the Street Fighter Third Strike of first-person shooters. And I was like, man, that actually kind of nails it um, in terms of like it's very niche and uh, a lot of like FPS aficionados look at it as one of the, the seminal moments of FPS campaign storytelling. And, you know, it's been encouraging. Uh, we, we just talked about EA Star Wars uh, uh, Jedi Survivor. It's been encouraging that, that uh, EA has, has really been looking back to single, single player campaigns, especially in light of their past comments, where they uh, executives have, you know, for, forecasted the, the 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 downfall of single player uh, games, but we're recently celebrating the the release of e, uh, EA Motors uh, Dead Space, so it's really yes. a shame again that that this type this Titanfall franchise seems to just can't seem to grab a hold because it really deserves a second chance. The first game uh, was an Xbox One exclusive and really just couldn't get off the ground. Once it was able to go multi platform, that's when it was really able to find its audience. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe one of history's gaming history's great one ifs is what you know and, and xbox fans won't want to hear this but just as a hypothetical like what if titanfall one what if respawn had signed a deal with sony and that had been a ps4 console exclusive uh and then titanfall 2 came again was still multi-platform because we just all know the xbox one that was that was the wrong console to be on if you're if you're an exclusive uh, at that moment in time. So it is, uh, we'll, we'll never know, of course. I mean, but, if you look yeah, back well on said, it. Well said, Gene. Kat, go ahead. 
you look back on it, uh, it was also released on the Xbox 360 at the time and was successful on that platform. EA was very insistent that it be on previous gen com uh, consoles. And I think maybe Titanfall's issues hit at a couple things. First of all, Titanfall 2, I think, was kind of mishandled back in 2016 because it was releasing at the same time as Battlefield 1. So it just didn't get as much promotion. And then the original Titanfall didn't have a single player campaign. It was purely yeah. multiplayer. And as fun as the actual loop was, it at a certain point, people got a little bit tired of it, I think. So one way or another, uh, I, I think there are a lot of factors that kind of speak to why this series hasn't been able to quite get a foothold, I think. And maybe the last thing is, I don't know how much people are asking for a sci-fi sh shooter specifically. Maybe, I mean, Halo has shown obviously over the years that a sci-fi shooter can be extremely successful. Maybe Halo can, maybe Titanfall can take Halo's place. But the question that I have in my mind is, with all the word of mouth around Titanfall 2 and the success of Apex Legends over the years, how, how big a deal would be a Titanfall 3? And would we want multiplayer with it? Well, interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I reviewed Titanfall 1 for IGN, and uh, I, I very distinctly remember giving it an 8.9 at the time where we were on the 100-point scale because it was, there was just, so, the, the bones of it were just so, so pure, so good, but there just wasn't a lot of there there uh, at the time, including the lack of a single-player campaign. Stella, you are our resident Apex Legends <laughs> super expert superstar player uh you play apex to this day on a very regular basis you also have harbor a lot of love for <laughs> titanfall uh what do you make of all this uh first it sucks but also um yeah there's, there's a lot of good points being made here by the panel um it's difficult because so titanfall legends obviously apex legends has taken on it's like 30 years after the events of titanfall 2 but it's also not completely confirmed to be in an alternate universe so there is this theory of a multiverse in the titanfall universe and apex universe um because certain events are slightly different which is really cool uh so it, it titanfall legends could have been a really cool concept because not only would it be set way further into the future but also right after titanfall 2 dropped i just want to point out that the community immediately deciphered what that morse code was at the end of the credits where it showed bt's helmet flash or the the jack's helmet flashing and it yeah. said B and it was bt calling out for jack right so as soon as they finished that game which was like day one people were like oh my god titanfall 3 confirmed so since then people have had this expectation that something was going to happen obviously apex legends dropped people were happy with that and they have found this huge success and i actually got to do an interview with the game director and the game designer which is out now and originally maybe like a year or two ago their focus was on expanding outside of the Battle Royale, but now they are sunsetting their other mode that is not Battle Royale, which is Arenas, which is the 3v3 kind of uh, Valorant-esque mode where you could buy weapons, abilities, and go in and fight. So they really are refocusing attempts at Battle Royale, which is great. Their next season update is a huge overhaul on the systems, um, really good quality of life changes. So it's, it's very clear that they are trying to do their best to support this game, which... It sucks to see that it was Apex Legends that got all of the success and the praise because Titanfall is such a good game. Titanfall 1, it was ahead of its time. Let's like, yeah. Battlefield, Battlefield 2042 does not have a campaign mode. doesn't even have a campaign in like the story, like at multiplayer, but Titanfall did in the original, which 
I think they could have done better about it. You could have had a playlist where you could play all the different maps in order. That would have been really good because the story was so good. If you followed it, it was really good. And then, of course, Titanfall 2 was their second chance to actually tell the story better. And it, it got mishandled, like Kat said. So it sucked because you weren't able to see how well created this series was. And then, of course, Apex comes along and it's a battle royale. So there's not really much room for a story. But somehow, Respawn still gives us a story with the battle royale, which is amazing. Not only do they do it through like comics, which is like they use community art and they commission community artists for that, which is amazing. And they've had this continued story going on throughout the seasons. So it, I'm going on a tangent, but. <laughs> Please, no, this is what we're here for. You, we, there's yeah. a lot of Titanfall love on this panel. And this is, this is, uh. This, this is probably the last time we're going to get to talk about Titanfall for a while, so please have at it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm happy that they found their stride in figuring out how to support a game as it lives on and grows in popularity. So in me interviewing the developers, they mentioned how they're actually introducing a new uh, system for new players for coming in. Because obviously Apex is now four years old and they're going into their four year anniversary. And there are a lot of new players who when they come in, they're just like, I don't know what to do. This is very overwhelming. And Apex is a very highly competitive battle royale. You have to know everything about movement, um, the, the different abilities and such. And Titanfall actually had this inherent problem of even when it went on sale, new players were often very unhappy going into the game because everyone who played was already so good. They knew all the mechanics, they knew how to move around. And there was this entry to bar uh, barrier to entry, whatever, however you say it. And um, I'm, I'm really happy to see that Apex, that Respawn has found their stride in doing better about introducing new players to this so that they can actually improve their player base, which is huge. And I'm just sad that they didn't do that with, with Painful, but I guess it, it takes a long time to understand and I guess form better as a developer to understand what it is that makes a live service game good, even with like multiplayer games. So it's one of those things where you can't just like launch it and then expect it to thrive. So it is good that they're learning, but I'm like a little bit, a little bit sooner would have been great. So yeah, wa watching all this footage, if you're watching us on the video version, our, our producer Tayo is just putting up the footage you know clip after clip it, it makes me want to go back and replay the titanfall mm -hmm. 2 single player too i mean we're seeing multiplayer footage as well but it, i want to go back and re replay the campaign i actually i rebought this game i think i rebought it on the air when i got my steam deck oh. <laughs> and I, just, I need to yeah i just haven't really been anywhere i need to go i need to go somewhere so i have an excuse to fire up the steam deck this was um, also the year it was also released the year of doom 2016. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 2016 was truly the year of the fps i believe that was also the year that we got overwatch and Correct. i think back to what titanfall 2 was able to do and i wonder if they ever release a titanfall 3 should they just go the doom route and release yes. a killer killer standalone first person shooter yeah that maybe ties into Apex Legends and let Apex Legends continue to stand alone as the franchise's take on multiplayer. Because one of the things that always stood out to me about Titanfall was that it was built around this conceit of you had the people on the ground and then you had the giant robots. And it was a two-phase thing, right? And it was cool and I could see where they were going with it. And I loved the movement of the original Titanfall. I actually played that one quite a bit. And, but at the, the actual like phased, uh, idea behind okay now the rock'em sock'em robots are out never quite hit with me and it i'm not sure it ever landed really with uh fans as well uh, what do you think stella 
Um, so with multiplayer, again, there was that problem of it. God, it was so good. But like the thing is trying to understand how everything works with the mechanics, technicalities, uh, the, the gun handling, it was very difficult. So there's this skill gap, right? So people who get it, got it. And then they would kind of steamroll and there was new, new movement tech coming out, even with apex that we still see the same thing happening. But I think, yeah, you're right. A lot of people really liked the idea of you being able to pilot a mech, right? Like we have people who are really into Evangelion, um, any sort of mech dream that they had, they could live through this. And it was really cool. Um, and, and the customization aspects too, like you could customize your Titan, which was great. But I think a lot of people really love the story because it just, it provided you a safe space to like try out all of the different movement techs and everything that they added into the game without you worrying about getting absolutely stomped by an enemy, right? Like, and so I think a lot of people, when they do play this, they go back, they, they recount the single player more than the multiplayer, which the multiplayer is good. But again, if you're not well in tune with every single bit of tech that the game has to offer you, you're probably not gonna have a great time in it. And that, that's kind of where you see the casual audience kind of fell off and it was more of a competitive audience. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, Kat, Kat, you've reminded me about like kind of the bigger picture of Titanfall that, that maybe it just really has, because we talk a lot about how timing matters and you, know, you can't always control timing. And, and when a game comes out, so like, a, like say dying, the first Dying Light is probably a good example of a game, you know, again, it's a good. It's a very good game that also had the benefit of having really good timing. It came out in like a end of January or February of whatever year that was, and there was just nothing else out, and it broke out into this big thing. And not that it it necessarily wouldn't have if there had been competition, but it just had that extra benefit. Whereas Kat, you mentioned, of course, the the fact that it came out on Xbox One, the console that launched with a lot of problems uh, from from the messaging side of things. So yet you had that for Titanfall 1 and then Titanfall 2, you know, you mentioned that that it came out at the same time as Battlefield that year. Uh it famously EA released it in the in the like one week it was directly sandwiched between Battlefield and Call of Duty. Uh which we've been over before but but yeah, wasn't this, it's it like, Call of Duty Infinity Infinity Warfare was out that year? So we I had don't remember which one. Just but this yeah, glut of sci-fi shooters. Yeah, it was just not like this. It's like this franchise has never had it, it's you know it's had bad luck for being for being such two great games. Um, you know, Gene, you you brought the the Street Fighter analogy into it, which I agree is apt. For me, this is almost uh, another one I would throw out there. Maybe not quite as one to one, but but it's it's kind of a like a Portal Two situation where you get this pristine game, this Titanfall Two like Portal Two takes everything the first one did and just amps it up into just these amazing new ways, and you go, great, can we ever can we get one more at some point? And it just never never happens, and it I I, I will this will forever the Titanfall will. Three will probably haunt me forever. The fact that it's never <laughs> going to get made. Cat and Stella also brought up. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, Cat uh, and Stella also brought up really interesting points about you know first of all the timing. Uh, I'm glad, Cat. I'm glad you brought up the Xbox 360 version because I forgot that that was actually the version of Titanfall One I played. Because uh, I obviously like many people, I didn't buy an Xbox One at launch. 
Um, and it was great. And Stella also brought up how, you know, ahead of its time it was because that that multiplayer it was multiplayer only, which was rare at the time. And but they also implemented a story in it. And I remember the final battle of Titanfall One was all multiplayer, but you played it along with other players. Yeah. And that's something that you don't really see. You know that that when Halo Infinite said that they were going to start uh, implementing like story related content into its multiplayer. That was the kind of level of, of storytelling that I was expecting uh, back in Titanfall 1. And, you know, Halo just never hit it because, uh, yeah, when, you, when you're playing Titanfall 1, you're playing multiplayer, but you're also playing a story. So, like, there's a, there's a big rush of, of robots just attacking this base. And it's a wonderful set piece that you just don't see in multiplayer games. Um, so, yeah, it really does feel like the Titanfall, the concept uh, as a multiplayer-only game, and uh, the way it was Im- able to implement storytelling within that that format was just really ahead of its time. And again, as Kat brought up, it would just release in a glut of other releases as well. Yeah, not that... Now, obviously, this at least the code name wasn't Titanfall 3. It was Titanfall Legends. I mean, it, it seems like if this had actually gone forward or if any Titanfall 3 ever goes forward, that... Just brand it. Go ahead and brand it Apex Legends, since that's the big, the big IP called Apex yeah. Legends colon. Do, yeah. yeah. What like what what would what would you call it, Gene? Maybe like Apex Legends colon Titanfall Reborn or something. Yeah, yeah. Apex Legends Titanfall. Just just call it that. Yeah. That's fine. Whatever. It's it's cool. You know. Yeah. As long as we get the game, that's that's <laughs> really. I don't care what it's called. I'd be interested yeah. to see if, if they ever decide to shadow drop it like they did with Apex Legends. You know, uh, we're uh, this past month we're we're, sh- we're shadow drop we're celebrating a shadow drop of Hi-Fi Rush and Apex Legends just came out of nowhere too. That's so true. I wonder if Titanfall if it's if a shadow drop Titanfall three or whatever, which isn't going to happen, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it would be would would do well. I don't know. Yeah. One last point before we move on, but I, Kat did bring up the question of whether or not sci-fi. Sh- FPS shooters are in the market now and I feel like we weren't given that with Halo Infinite like we wanted that so badly but it just didn't carry through after like the first few weeks of launch and I feel like people are hungry for that we want something that can kind of fuel that nostalgia because I think Titanfall does have that feeling of nostalgia behind the first and second one especially since it got 2016 yeah that's like forever ago um and it, it doesn't have that tenure that Halo does but I feel like a lot of players were kind of disappointed with how that came out that that we do kind of want something to kind of i don't know hold our hold our interest especially with something that had such great movement tech like this and um halo infinite is great i mean it it obviously is working through its problems but it, it just isn't really hitting that like craving that people want for just like a really fun chaotic it's not team based multiplayer game so Gene, let me ask you one more question on this, because you mentioned Shadow Drop, you know, Hi-Fi Rush recently, and, and Apex, you know, famously connected to, to Titanfall, of course. If uh, if Titanfall, t- if Game Pass had existed when Titanfall Two came out in 2016, it was a year early for that too. Like, even if it had released directly between Battlefield and and Call of Duty, you got to figure that that if it had if Microsoft had made a deal, which they do have with EA, with the, the EA um, Play thing, the, the Titanfall 2 could have found life and and maybe thrived through Game Pass and the word of mouth that we're seeing with Hi-Fi Rush now. 
That's true. That's true. It, uh, again, it goes back to Kat's uh, uh, point about timing that it really could have taken advantage of the Game Pass e- ecosystem and just let it get into players' hands. I don't know if it should be free to play like Apex. Uh, I would love the, to see them actually just focus on a single player campaign and just release that. I love that idea too. And just having a- Apex uh, just be the multiplayer portion of that universe. Um, right. But again, with this news is we, we have to keep reminding ourselves that you know we're probably not going to see one for a very long time if ever <laughs> yeah uh and and just to make it hurt a little worse i mean the designer mohavid uh alavi he you know if, if he's like well i don't recognize that name well he i i double checked to look him up because i have heard his name before mm-hmm. he is an underrated i would say uh designer in the sense that he goes back with Vince Zampella and mm-hmm. Jason West all the way back to the early Call of Duty days. So very, very he's been time. right there. Yeah, he, he has been right alongside uh, Vince and Jason, who have generally gotten more of the the, the credit for for um, for better or for worse. Like, yeah, Muhammad's been right there. So the fact that, you know, this was an old school, uh, a veteran re- respawn developer, veteran guy that that was taking the reins on this. And he's not there anymore. Um, so if if we are ever going to get Titanfall, it, you know, I would nominate Steve Fukoda. Maybe uh, Vince maybe wants to dust, you know, step out of the, the the executive office and come back down to development to to do something. But it does seem like uh, yet another like our best chance for more Titanfall has passed. Uh, never say never, but it ain't looking good for the future. All right, let's move on here. Marvel's Midnight Suns director, uh, Jake Solomon, who also directs the XCOM games, he had an interesting comment on Twitter. He is not thrilled about the... Now, he works. On, he worked on a Marvel game, uh, which, of course, Marvel's Midnight Suns just shipped in December. and But he commented on, on this uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran plan over at DC to have the video games feed in and connect to the new DC universe, which, you know, along with the movies and the TV shows, Jake tweeted, quote, this would have been a nightmare for us on Midnight Suns. I understand the desire, I think, but movies and games are so, so different. And the pressure this puts on the amazing voice actors in the game space, different universes. And that's how they should slash will stay. Uh, Kat, let me go to you first, because this, I, I feel like, Jake, uh, Jake's making a good point here for, for certainly on the voice actor front and just in general, like is this, I don't know if you can really plug those things together, given the, how long video games take and, uh, and, and everything else that, that goes into a video game that's so different than a movie or a TV show. It's definitely, <clears throat> it's definitely an interesting question and something that's worth discussing as I think superhero games become more and more prevalent. I think it was Jeff Grubb who made the point that you need something like 10 million units sold in order to break even on a game, which is actually quite crazy. And how do you do that with no names and licenses? And so you're seeing Spider-Man, EA is working on an Iron Man game. There's a Wolverine coming out. Uh, We have Rocksteady's Suicide Squad and such. And for the most part, these games have generally stood alone. There have been plenty of people who have been like, 
well, what about these games being in uh, tied into directly into the lore, like the MCU or the DCU? Um, well, we've seen that a little bit with Star Wars, and uh, several of these games are what you would call canon, I suppose. Yeah. Tend to be somewhat more light canon elements. I think Jedi Fallen Order might be the heaviest canon story in the Star Wars universe. But for, by all accounts, conversations that I've had with folks within EA... It's quite challenging to work with Disney on this stuff and, and Lucasfilm. They have very particular ideas and notes and feedback, and that adds to the challenges of game development, which is hard enough. And I think that Firaxis was happy to have a lot of freedom. Like, would Marvel let them go and do a story based on more of the occult noir stories that Midnight Suns is based on. I don't know about that, but it was a rich and unique game, which sadly did not sell well. RIP. It was critically acclaimed, but not commercially so. But, it's a free trial up now that's worth yeah. pointing out. So go anybody play can just go it. it's download really it and try good. it out. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh Gene, your thoughts here. Uh, is this am I making too much of this or or is there is is Jake right that that anybody making a DC video game is is uh maybe going to be in for some huge headaches? I mean, we we talk a lot about how E3 and the downfall of E3 uh, is able to free up teams because they no longer have to meet certain deadlines, uh, an arbitrary deadline of May or June to have like a vertical slice available. Um, so being tied to a movie franchise uh, just makes it even worse, uh, I think in terms of the kind of freedom that, that a developer would have uh, regarding schedule, but also in terms of the, the storytelling. You know, uh, right now, uh, intellectual property law really limits the, the, the kind of stories that we can tell. Uh, and, you know, when we think about how maybe Winnie the Pooh is, 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 is <laughs> no longer uh, uh, tied to IP and we can just tell, we can just make a horror mm -hmm. movie about Winnie the Pooh. Uh, the closest thing we have to, you know, more story, more freedom in storytelling is video game developers being able to tell their own stories, like Midnight Suns or Insomniac Spider-Man. You know, a lot of people say that, and including myself, I consider Insomniac Spider-Man game to be just one of the better Spider-Man stories uh, told. I think it's better than all the MCU movies. Uh, and if it was tied to Tom Holland's Spider-Man, which is already a mess uh, in terms of of how it's tangled up in, into the Marvel universe, I just think it would be so difficult and. Uh, I, I'm glad to to have games that are just completely separate from the MCU. I see the appeal of having it all tied tied together, and it could be fun. But that stuff is always fun. But uh, I think we're just going to have a lot more interesting stories, uh, basically, if these these teams have a little bit more creativity uh, uh, allowed to them. Yeah, yeah, Gene, and you make a great point. Because over, so I'm on Nintendo Voice Chat, and one of the main conversations that we often have is about Pokemon, mm -hmm. which has to hit deadline. It is part of this vast marketing machine. There's no wiggle room. And what did we get? Pokemon Scarlet and Violet was kind of a technical mess mm -hmm. and definitely could have spent a few more months in the oven. But these roadmaps are designed years in advance, and they have to hit their deadlines. And as we all know, game development is a super messy process. So you go to these teams and say, okay, 
we're going to have a game based on the DCU and it has to be out by this time because it ties into this plot point, it could become like a train wreck, oh. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like if it was tied to the DCU, we would just get really boring games. It would just be so boring. I would not be interested. <laughs> like we've seen these stories. The greatest thing about comics is that there are so many different storylines that you can follow and some might translate better to games. Some might translate better to screens. Like we see that with shows, with game shows like The Last of Us and Castlevania. A lot of that stuff would not translate well to the games, but somehow they adapt it better for television and it tells a different story. Doesn't mean it's better or worse than the source material but it, ju it just fits better for the different genres so i feel like meshing it into one would be really really boring and it would just kind of i don't know it, it, it doesn't feel like it would have many creative elements to it so i i would not be interested in that gene uh number one does this kill my dream for a batman beyond game from rocksteady after they <laughs> finally ship suicide uh, suicide squad kill the justice league and number two more seriously if you're a developer at Monolith right now, who 14 months ago announced a Wonder Woman game with nothing but a little CG trailer, so presumably that project is still relatively early, are you feeling real nervous right now uh, about the fact that you've started down this road with your Wonder Woman game before this new mantra comes in from James Gunn and Peter Safran? I think with Wonder Woman, uh, uh, it has some advantage because we just know absolutely nothing about it. We uh, uh, have we seen her yet? We haven't even seen no nothing. Like yeah, we 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 haven't seen anything. So it's nice that that they're able to to start with that that blank slate. And also, I guess Wonder Woman is just restarting in DC DCU. So I guess that they're also starting with a blank slate. But I guess moving forward, I'd, I'd be more worried about it because, you know, imagine if the Suicide Squad Rocksteady game was tied to uh, the, the original film version uh, by, uh, by, by Zack Snyder or whatever and in, in the Snyderverse. And that just, that just would have been a nightmare. I guess we'd have Will Smith in the game. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> that is a I covered uh, I covered the DCU for IGN News as well. And one thing that stands out about James Gunn and Peter Safran is that they're willing to allow standalone projects uh, to go forward. And there are several of them, most notably the Matt Reeves's The Batman trilogy. And so I could absolutely see a world when they say, well, these are the standalone games, but also we have games that tie into the DCU. So a little bit of a, you have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> I hope you're right, Kat. Because yeah, I mean, I, I've, I for one, based on Everything Gunn has said and done thus far in his new position at DC and, and also his track record as a filmmaker, I have faith in him to lead the DC movie universe down a, a better path. But, you know, with all due respect to him, I don't think he really knows a lot about the, how video games are built and, and what goes into them. So, yeah, I, I hope you're right that, that there's going to be the flexibility there uh, to allow for whether it's, you know, Elseworlds video games or or what that not everything is going to have to plug in somehow to what he's uh, he and his creative team are cooking up in the film and TV universe. So uh, yeah, I I hope that that the uh, that whether it's Gunn or or somebody higher up at DC has has come in and talked to the Monolith team and said, hey, you know, don't worry, we're not going to cancel your game, we're not going to make you radically, you know rethink it to add 
more years onto the development time. Hopefully, whatever Monolith is is doing can continue uninterrupted. Because actually, you know, we haven't heard from that studio. Yeah, when was when was the last Mordor game? Like twenty fourteen? A while ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a Shadow while. Shadow of War them. came out in either 2017 or 2018. Wow, it's okay. been that long. That's yeah. crazy. Is it? That's actually more recently than I would have even guessed. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Middle Underrated, Earth. too. I kind of yeah. liked it. It was a mess, and now it's divorced of all the DLC. So yes, yes, yes. Once they fixed the whole live service or like the the loot box, loot box aspect of Shadow, yeah, War, that was terrible. It oh was my God. awful. It was so awful. It made the game. It was awful. the same year as the Battlefront Two fiasco. Mm-hmm. So that's that uh, would have been twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. So. Yeah, you are correct. That's crazy. September of twenty seventeen. So we're we're coming up on you know we're at five and a half years since they've shipped a game, which means presumably the Wonder Woman project is reasonably far in like to at least pre-production and uh that, that they're you know i don't know they can't have just been twiddling their thumbs for the last five years so i'm sure oh, unless they had the something and folks. It. <laughs> well that's true i mean i well, you know what do i know but yeah it's uh we'll see we'll see if we hear from from uh, monolith at either E3 or Keeley Fest or whatever the one one of the summer events, maybe on Microsoft stage, possibly on their summer showcase. Uh, all right. Speaking of uh, things, well, in this case, not living too long. There are uh, several games this week announced that they are shutting down their servers. Notably, Crossfire X, which only came out in 2021. I think or was that early tw- yeah early last year i believe or that last year was 2022 sometime in 2021 knockout city which is crossfire x wasn't a good game knockout city was that's shutting down too and then uh while it's not shutting down turtle rock has announced that they are moving on from back for blood so no more content is coming to that game and that just launched into game pass in the fall of 2021, so just you know, a year and a few months ago, Turtle Rock saying <clears throat> that Turtle Rock Studios is actually pretty small for a studio making AAA games. We don't quite have enough folks to continue working on Back for Blood content while we spin up another game. Yes, another game. Given, uh, given this, it's time for us to put our heads down, get back in the lab, and get to work on the next big thing. While we may be a bit quieter in the short term, we promise that we'll be back bigger, bolder, and better than ever. Uh, Cat, well, actually, let me start with Stella first because you play Stella. You play so many of these ongoing multiplayer <laughs> games. Yeah. Uh, th- these seeing all these these shutdowns recently of games that have not even necessarily been live for all that long, kind of makes you rethink the whole chasing games as a service trend that publishers are doing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I mean, I liked both of these games, but here's the thing. So. With Back for Blood, it, this is why it makes me kind of happy that um, Redfall is not pursuing the same sort of system that Back for Blood did because the gameplay loop gets really, really tiring really fast. So, of course, there's the challenge of going through each difficulty level and completing the campaign on that, but it gets really tiring and the game isn't exactly short. There's a lot of different chapters you have to go through and it's very difficult. So a lot of players, you know, once they play the story, they're just like, okay, I'm good. The cosmetic items are just like, well, I'm not going to play this game again. It's not like uh, Left 4 Dead where you could Con- endlessly mod the game to tell whatever story you wanted, play as whatever character you wanted, play as SpongeBob killing 
Teletubby zombies or whatever, right? So there's like no fun gameplay loop that you can really go back to. So when you see new cosmetics and stuff, you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I played the game. I know what it's like. That does not change anything for me. And that kind of works with the same thing of like knockout city i liked that game it was really cool it was a very cool concept but there just wasn't enough in the season updates that brought anyone back it was the same gameplay loop it was the same thing also there was again that thing of um difficulty right when players who play the game and are dedicated to playing the game every day and a casual player comes in and wants to try the game out they get immediately rolled over and over again they're just like well you know what this is this is not fun. i'm gonna play something that's a little bit easier to approach so and that's kind of the same thing that I was talking about with like Titanfall. So it's it's really difficult because live service games are fun and they could be really good, but it's so hard to find that balance within their community because every community is going to be very different. The Knockout City community versus Back for Blood versus Apex, it's very different and you there's no formula for it. And Gene, you know, all these live service games that want to hold their players' attention for weeks and months on end they're all it's it's there's a lot of them are doomed to fail because they're all competing for the same limited resource which is players time like you can only play maybe one or two at the most of these of these kind of ongoing games at a time right yeah exactly that's why the the, the big mmo explosion of the early 2000s largely failed because there's only so much time that that someone can dedicate to an mmo which is like all their time to the one game and that one game was usually World of Warcraft. Um, and so it, it's running into the exact same problem that, that we had before. They're just chasing that that, that money. Um, for me, it's really disappointing because as someone, you know, I love Knockout City. I, I, I actually spent money in it. I spent about uh, uh, the money I would spend on the retail price of a game. But for it to go offline, like I just can't play with the game with my friends anymore. There's no offline play. So all that money I spent on a game is just gone. Like it's just, I just have to chalk it up to it, it was that experience for that month and that's it. And that's that's the value of the, the $60 that I decided to pay for that game. Kat, do you think this is these seeing all these shutdowns will make any publisher rethink their their game as a service plan? No, because I think that anybody who's making a pitch has to say we're going to make Fortnite. It's happening. We're going to you see all this money that Fortnite's making? We're doing it with the volleyball game or the, the dodgeball game. <laughs> right. And I think that a lot of, I agree with you with the limited time and attention. These games require a lot of resources to actually make. And I think it speaks to kind of how out of whack our expectations are for content in some ways. I mean, if you look back at the original Titanfall, which came out 10 years ago, if I recall correctly, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Stella, but I don't remember there being a ton of content updates, DLC, patches, that kind of thing. And people riot now Oh yeah. if you don't get a ton of new updates on the reg, on a really like laid out, steady, predictable roadmap. I mean, just today... The Call of Duty Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 2 Season 2 roadmap finally came out. It's two weeks late. You have all the fans uh, rambling around saying that they have this, with this giant wish list of things and they're putting out new maps and new modes and all of these changes and new a new watercraft and that kind of thing. And I just don't think that's particularly sustainable 
for a small studio like Turtle Rock. So they're stuck in a little bit of a heart rock between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> turtle Rock. A Turtle Rock <laughs> yes. and a hard place. <laughs> okay. um, where they are having to pitch to publishers that, hey, yeah, we're going to make so much money off this game. It's going to be crazy, but not having the resources to actually sustain it. Can't you make... Oh, go ahead, Stella, please. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that you have a really good point about that, but I think a lot of these things are like the Back for Blood stuff. It was, there was one content update, but it really wasn't that much. And you had to be in a cer certain level to even access it. And most of it was like uh, cosmetic stuff. And I feel like people are, especially with the, with the launch of life service games, people are like, well, we don't really just want skins. We want something more substantial, which is why a lot of people were disappointed when Overwatch 2 came out. And it was really just like an overhaul of visuals. And people were like, this is not what we wanted. And I think a lot of the criticism comes from like with the Call of Duty thing. Uh, I feel like Call of Duty stays pretty on top of how they cycle out their content. So it's never too boring, which is something that like Apex Legends has gotten uh, flack for before because Call of Duty likes to take out some of their established modes and cycle it in and out so it's like a little bit it's a way to cheat the content drought right but um with apex they've been like constantly talking about like this new change that's coming and so of course players are going to look at apex and be like well what is call of duty doing why are you being so silent when apex this week is talking about their thing that launches next week at the same exact time so it's like there's so much comparison in the industry and it hurts it, it definitely hurts different games because it's like you can't really compare the same development cycle to other games so it's 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 tough i i, I think gamers have just gotten very impatient and like it's it's what is it instant gratification that is something that they've definitely gotten very used to yeah there's a zillion games out there go ahead gene well, there's a zillion games and they're and like to to stella's point they're all mostly offering skins you know uh i i'm one of the the, the, the 13 people that play at avengers and <laughs> wow i met one that's amazing <laughs> celebrity being shut down by the way yeah, yeah. No. Shut down this past month and the only thing that game offered was skins and that's the problem that halo infinite has is that you know we're just getting new seasons great but all the new season offers is more more cosmetics and we just kind of, it just feels weird that that's takeaway that a lot of these other live service uh wannabes have taken away from like Fortnite, where it's like Oh, people just love skins. And it's like, we do, but there also needs to be actual content and you need teams to be able to develop that uh, new, new, new concepts. And that's just not happening. It's just mostly just, we're just getting skins. Yeah. It's the, and, it's the vegetables without the, it's like the sides without the main course, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm not a Fortnite <laughs> fan, but I have to give them props for the genius that they've developed they've shown in making their map refreshes major events mm -hmm. where everybody has to be paying attention and there's always clues about content drops and everything and it feels like something that you want to come back to but again like between fortnite and apex legends and call of duty and final fantasy 14 <laughs> and overwatch there's so many live service games fifa for god's sake and you only have so many hours in the day, and then there's single player games and mobile games, and some you're just some games just aren't going to find an audience. I'm sorry, some games are just not going to be big, and that's how it be. Kat, you made a couple of good points uh, that I wanted to circle back on. One, I can't believe you're right. We are we're one month away from the 10 year anniversary of Titanfall One. 
which is which just makes <laughs> it just makes the Titanfall Legends cancellation all the more painful because that totally if in some alternate universe where that doesn't get canceled, they could have announced it on in a month from now on the ten year anniversary. Like, finally, you know, finally, you've been waiting for so long. So, wow, I can't believe that was ten years ago. Well, uh, that hurts more. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's just like yeah, just twist the knife a little bit more. Uh, yeah, this whole two, episode of Unlocked is just sadder than the last of us episode. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then, secondly, Kat, you know, you were, <clears throat> pardon me, you were mentioning, the, the, you made such a great point about the lack of that uh, content roadmap expectation when Titanfall 1 came out 10 years ago. And you got me thinking, well, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, when did that start? I, and I feel like, and you know, Gene, you, you wisely pointed out MMOs, but even those... I would say there there really wasn't a like players were never kind of waiting for the next month's thing. There was they were sort of built big to start it was with. A month month thing, yeah. And I so, feel like uh, Stella waving at me. Is that? Yeah, I, I okay. have my hand up like I'm in class. Oh, sorry. So whatever, yeah, whatever you so finish your point. Whatever you finish your point. screen's yeah. over here. I'm <laughs> oh, don't worry. Point. No, yeah. I was just gonna say, I'll, and I'll throw it to you, but I almost feel like. Destiny in 2014 was maybe the start of that because that's when like live service games started to be built that way on purpose. Yeah, and the MMOification of yeah of, of non MMOs, right? Well, yeah. that, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's the one that comes to mind. I called Destiny that one of the most influential games of the 2010s for the for exactly. Absolutely. That. Oh, I Absolutely. wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Stella, go ahead. I feel like, yeah, maybe Destiny 1, but like also to me immediately, I think of DayZ and how they started doing, when all of these early access games started dropping, that's when I think that a lot of the roadmaps came out because people were just expected to play early access forever, right? right. I talk about Ark having this issue because when it finally launched, people were like, no, we're not buying that game. I got to play it for free. I'm not buying that. So I think it was when early access games like DayZ, uh, H1Z1, PUBG. Fortnite uh, was early access for like, Three, four years, yes. basically. Yeah, yeah and I right, think right. there was a lot of that stuff because you could still, like, play the game, but people were like, well, when is this finally going to get updated? When are we getting the next thing? When is this going to get introduced? Because it was early access, so you could wait for updates, right? So I feel like that's when it really started taking off, um, at least to, like, my 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 brain. That's what I, I was like, oh, DZ, right? Because we were supposed yeah. to get helicopters, like, two years in and never got that until, like, four years later, so... Yeah, I, th I think that's when people started really paying attention to like dev roadmaps. That's a really great point, Stella, uh, because I feel like as someone who didn't play Vampire Survivors uh, available on Xbox Game Pass uh, when it, while it was in early access, I'm really envious of the people who did play, jumped on the Vampire Survivors bandwagon early because mm -hmm. they were getting updates every few months, and that must have been so exciting <laughs> to be like, oh, I, I get to I get to play more Vampire Survivors again because they just updated with more uh, uh, achievements. Yeah. And for me now, like they just came out with their DLC and I finished it, and now I'm like, I, I, can't, I, I, I don't really have a reason to play it anymore. I, but I want to play it more. So if they just made more maps, I would just keep going back to it. Um, so on, yeah, great point. On the flip side, I have major live service burnout. So I was mainly yeah. a FIFA player. <laughs> I, I played a lot of Battlefield over the years. And there comes a point where I've been playing this game for hundreds of hours over the course of years, grinding through content, and the grind just becomes a lot at a certain point. And then I just want to like, I want to go play some Elden Ring now. I, I want to go play Witcher 3. I want to play a game that I can actually finish. Mm -hmm. 
And I wonder how much a live service game burnout is a thing. Yeah, uh, Fortnite was was my jam. Like Fortnite was the one <laughs> game that I really decided to like commit my time and money to. And I played that for three years. I even went on an actual uh, um, kind of silent, silent retreat uh, with the Franciscan monks here in DC. Um, and I went into a cabin in the woods with no internet, but I still had phone access and I was still uploading Fortnite and, 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 and playing Fortnite <laughs> when I'm supposed to be away from technology. That's how hooked on Fortnite I was. But, but after three years, I was like, I think I got everything I wanted out of this game and I think I'm done, you know? That's fair. Out of curiosity, Gene, how much money did you spend on Fortnite in those three addicted I, years? I spent hundreds of dollars on Fortnite. <laughs> it's crazy to me. It's not oh model God. works. It's I mean, not... I've spent money on FIFA. People spend hundreds, thousands of dollars just ripping packs. Mm -hmm. It's, but you, people don't even stop to think how much money they're spending on these games. It's nuts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was a, I was a Fortnite subscriber to their little subscription service too. So oh, okay. So, I don't know, but yeah, eventually I was like, I'm spending way too much money for what you know. So I don't know. Well, we live in strange times, and it's just unfortunate now that. There is there whatever game whatever game you're playing that's an ongoing multiplayer game, the odds are probably better than a coin flip odd odds that it's gonna shut down sooner than you want it to. Uh, if you're if you're somebody that's enjoying a, a particular game, because it's said so there's just there's no there's only room for so many of these to keep going and keep keep thriving and surviving. Uh, next up this week. Glad I have uh, some some fellow baseball fans on the on the air with me this week. Stay home, Destin. You don't even like baseball. Stay <laughs> home with your baby. No, congratulations to Destin, by the way, and his wife. Congratulations on, uh, yeah. on the birth of Nathaniel. Nathaniel Legary is uh, is now a new member of uh, of hashtag Team Destin. That's a good name. Yeah, solid. Uh, Daniel and Nathaniel. It's new sitcom <laughs> coming this fall to nbc oh my god <laughs> I, I, the other kid's name is daniel yeah that's that's cool okay yeah so the, they'll yeah they've got a they've got a cool daniel and nathaniel thing going now uh so baseball mlb the show 23 which we are eagerly anticipating on xbox once again so happy that this is a multi-platform game now uh and so happy that this feature is going and this is if you are a baseball historian if you're somebody like me that is you know baseball i i would argue again it's i'm not trying to knock other professional sports but i would i would argue that baseball probably has uh deeper ties and reverence for its history than mm. than the other three major professional sports in north america uh and part of that is now coming to light in MLB The Show 23. It will feature legends from the Negro Leagues, which is just such a, it's such a fascinating part. Uh, there's so many amazing, incredible, talented players from this era that, that you know, didn't get to play uh, in the major leagues, you know, pre-integration. So uh, the new mode is called Storylines, a new game experience celebrating the Negro Leagues. Eight Negro League legends are a part of MLB The Show 23. Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, of course, famously broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Buck O'Neill, Rube Foster, Hilton Smith, Hank Thompson, John Donaldson, and Martin DeHigo. 
uh, MLB announced that storylines will feature a narrative experience for each featured Negro League player with, quote, short videos about the players mixed with gameplay centered on important moments of their careers. The players will also be available in exhibition mode in other areas of the game. This isn't just a one-off idea either. MLB The Show 23 will feature season one of storylines with every new MLB The Show game, including a new roster of Negro League legends. Uh, Mr. Kendrick will be narrating the stories in the new mode. We just saw him on, uh, on the trailer there. We'll narrate the stories in the mode and also help select the list of the Negro Leaguers to introduce over the next several years. Cat, uh, let me start with you here because, yeah, this is, to, to me, I'm, I'm like over the moon that this is going to be part of the, the greatest baseball sim of the last 15 plus years. Yeah, it's very cool. And I love that they announced it during Black History Month. Uh, obviously, baseball has a huge, a, a very complicated history yeah. with um, segregation and integration and everything. And I love to see the the biggest baseball sim uh, coming to grips with it and looking at that history and and finding ways, interesting ways within the game to uh, get people to engage with that history. So because I think it's important, and I love sports games, and I think NBA Two K did a great job of this last year as well that do that really pay respect to the history that really capture the the fullness of the sport because the reason that I'm personally drawn to sports is narrative and storylines and the way that you understand the narrative and storylines you have to also be able to understand the history and sports games which are the original live service games, if you want to think of them that way, have often struggled to do it because they're so focused on, well, but yeah, but how can we get the next Ultimate Team update out? Like creating these huge narrative storylines is maybe too much. And I think that both um, Take-Two, or sorry, both 2K Visual Concepts and uh, Sony San Diego have done a fantastic job within their own games. This, this is not the first time that they've done this. They've also done things for, it's like Babe Ruth, that kind of thing. They in, in, implement uh, elements of the history into Diamond Dynasty and things like that. So Sony San Diego has been doing this for a while now. And I think that the way that these two games handle these modes can be a great uh, example, maybe, uh, to EA, which I, I'm sorry to say that their sports sims haven't really been up to snuff, certainly not in the storytelling department. Gene, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I I think it's absolutely amazing that they announced this during Black History Month. Uh, I think it was about two years ago that the that, that the Major League Baseball started to recognize the players' statistics from the from the Negro Baseball Baseball League into the official uh, uh, league statistics. So it's definitely been kind of this growing movement to really acknowledge the history there. Um, it's also exciting to know that they're going to be adding more to it because, you know, I think a lot of people might see the lineup of the initial eight players and be like, oh, they're, they're, they're missing, like like Willie Mays would be a, a really good uh, addition to uh, the roster too. But again, this, this all takes a lot of time and work and uh, it's really, really historic and wonderful to be able to see uh, Sony just kind of implement all of this, um, especially including uh, Mr. Foster, the founder of the, of the whole league, uh, into 
into into the game. One of the I watched a trailer for this feature, and I read the YouTube comments. I'm going to be reading the YouTube comments under this one too. But it was interesting to see a lot of people say, you know, video games are teaching me more about history than school ever did, and that's something that's you know that that people talk about, but not really uh, about how lackluster education is, and uh, about how we we teach our own history. It's 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 a large problem on why we have information. It's, it's a large problem on why just a few years ago people were arguing about what even the Civil War was about, um, which is just ridiculous. And so it's 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 great that video games are are stepping up and 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 are able to teach us history. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, that's that was exactly where I was going to go because it's you know what a what a there's there's really no built-in way that that young fans who uh will will play mlb the show would have a way to even necessarily learn about these players without you know unless you're you you go to lots of games and you sit next to some sage old guy you know that has season tickets next to you and and it just you know it comes out over the course of conversation let's there, this is such a great educational tool, uh, in addition to being a, an additive gameplay aspect mm -hmm. to MLB The Show. You know, the, the, the Negro Leagues ran from 1920 to about 1960, again, prior to Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, it's so it's it is a significant chunk of baseball's history. And and yeah, the being able to to educate players about this in such a fun way will just go, it, it preserves the history of baseball. It furthers uh, the, the integrity of that history and the, the things that, you know, lessons we need to hang on to from the past and, and mistakes we need to not repeat in the future. So uh, these are some of the best players to ever play the sport. Mm -hmm. and, and just most of them did not get the chance to showcase their talents against the rest of of the playing field uh, because they were they were not allowed into major league baseball so uh i i just i can i'm over the moon about this it's such a wonderful under like to me this is this is so much better than you know tweaks to diamond dynasty or whatever you know to to road yeah. to the show like not that those aren't important but i i just love seeing the sony san diego team's energy directed into something like this and I suspect that that they themselves are are very invigorated by by working on this too. So yeah, and also this is also a really nice contrast to like what other live service games do uh, during Black History Month. Like for example, Halo Infinite last year, they just had they just give you like a little banner that that acknowledges Black History Month, and that's it. You know, it's very 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 surface level. And I'm not saying that you know there should be a Black Master Chief or anything like that, um, but it's, it really goes to show the kind of care and thought that they put into this as opposed to just uh, yeah. uh, just put, putting a symbol on and, and just moving on with, with the month, you know? I yeah. think we'll there are a few other aspects as well. Uh, baseball has had a problem with black players uh, embracing the sport. So this is a great way to serve as an, kind of an ambassador for the sport into the black community. And then... MLB The Show has traditionally been, at least in recent years, been very, very, very good about integrating all of its different modes into the entirety of the experience. 
So if I'm playing March to October, if I'm playing franchise mode, if I'm playing this mode, the, the Negro League storyline, I am earning rewards throughout the whole thing. It feels very tight. The presentation is excellent. And so I think that it's going to get a lot of people who might otherwise ignore this mode uh, to play it and be able to have a, a great experience and learn something new. Yeah, and, and we should expect this uh, on Game Pass. I don't, I'm just trying to double check if there's been a formal announcement. Uh, yes, there has been. It is, on the, it is on the official. Yeah, okay, so it is confirmed, which was expected. Just wanted to make sure before I said it as fact. MLB The Show 23 will once again be launching day and date into Xbox Game Pass. So if you're a baseball fan, there is no excuse. Download it, play it. And enjoy it. Uh, I have been enjoying Tim Schafer's video games for most of my gaming life. Um, the, my first Tim Schafer game was Monkey Island 1, which of course Ron Gilbert directed, but Tim Schafer uh, wrote on. And Tim Schafer, the founder, of course, of Double Fine Productions, now a Microsoft company. Tim will be inducted into the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame this month at the 26th annual Dice Awards coming up in Las Vegas in recognition of his 30 plus year impact on the games industry. He began at LucasArts, then Lucasfilm in 1989 as a programmer working on games like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which yes, was a point and click adventure game and Maniac Mansion. He was eventually invited by Ron Gilbert to work on The Secret of Monkey Island and its sequel, both of which received massive acclaim. Schaefer went on to design games such as Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, which is my favorite Tim Schaefer game, and Grim Fandango, before eventually leaving LucasArts in 2000 to found Double Fine and create Psychonauts, much later Psychonauts 2, Brutal Legend, Broken Age, etc. The AIAS Hall of Fame status is given to, quote, game creators who have been instrumental in the development of highly influential games and moving a particular genre forward, end quote. Schaefer will join past honorees such as Ed Boone, Connie Booth, Bonnie Ross, Todd Howard, Hideo Kojima, and others. Quote, Tim has been a beacon of creativity and innovation in the games industry for decades, said head of PlayStation creators Greg Rice will be presenting the award. Greg got, he worked with alongside Tim, uh, producing games at Double Fine for many years. Since the early days of LucasArts, he's been setting the benchmark for storytelling and games, and with the formation of Double Fine, he created a place that not only allowed him to continue to, develop, to, to deliver pardon me, incredible games, but also inspire and support others doing the same. He truly is a legend, end quote. What a long overdue recognition. Uh, Kat, I'll go to you first. What's your favorite Tim Schafer game? Oh. I'll start there. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love Secret of Monkey Island? I remember seeing it for the very first time on a, a 486 computer and just adoring the, the graphics. And it was notably funny in a way, in a period where game writing was still kind of developing and growing. It really stood out for its humor and also it's really, really difficult puzzles. So... Uh, and a lot of respect for Day of the Tentacle and Full Throttle as well. Both excellent. So so much character to these games. And I, I don't know Tim that well, but I've been following Double Fine for a very long time. 
and it's it's been a great incubator for independent developers. It's come up with a lot of interesting ideas over the years, but it's also been very much on the edge. There have been many times where Double Fine probably could have closed its doors and wouldn't have made it. And thankfully, I'm 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 happy that Double Fine has found stability. I think within yeah. the Xbox uh, ecosystem, I think that this is one way in which the various acquisitions over the years have been great for companies like Double Fine and um, Obsidian. So my hats off and my most sincere to Tim Schafer. Well earned. Gene, do you have a favorite Tim Schafer game? Uh, I actually really love Psychonauts too. I finally was able to play that uh, recently. Uh, but my first exposure and probably my favorite exposure to Tim Schafer was actually Maniac Mansion, which kind of shows my age. Uh, I played it on back the in- NES or the PC. On the, on the, on the NES, so nice. Yeah. The censored one. <laughs> yeah, the censored one. Yeah, um, and I. I, I barely remember my experience with it, but I remember the first time I saw Resident Evil for the original PlayStation 1 Resident Evil, and I was like, oh my god, this is like Maniac Mansion, but like bloody, and I get to actually shoot things. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, that's why like Tim Schafer has been such a, such a wonderful boon to the industry, because uh, his influence goes beyond adventure games, and... Uh, it's it's why like games like Resident Evil were able to thrive because because of the, the groundwork laid by him. I'm actually quite surprised that he's only just getting inducted now. It's, it feels yeah. like it feels like like inducting like the Velvet Underground into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the, in, in like 2002. It's like it's it's kind of late. So um, I'm also kind of surprised. That I, I forgot that Bonnie Ross was was uh, inducted into it. No shade on her. I'm just surprised that that she got in pretty early. So. Uh, Stella, have we have we gotten you to addicted to Tim Schafer games yet, or do we still need to work on that? Uh, so I didn't know that he did Broken Age, and I remember playing that a while ago because uh, I was like, oh, this looks really cute, and I remember being like, oh my god, this story is really good. The, yeah. So the art style is what drew me in, and then I realized that the narrative was just really good. So Broken Age is is the one because I haven't I haven't played the other ones. I wanted to play Grim Fandango. But I remember seeing Broken Age and that was like, it was on Steam for sale, I think. And I, I played it and I was like, oh my God, this is really good storytelling. So I, I, I think that was the, that would be the one that I would have to highlight here. The, the re, I, re, I reviewed the remaster of Grim Fandango a few years ago for IGN. Yeah. It's, it holds up great. It is, I definitely recommend it. You can, uh, you know, when you're, when you're taking breaks, fragging people in, in Apex, <laughs> you, it's, it's really like the perfect it's the opposite. It is, you know, it is a, a quiet solo story. It's like a great book, you know, with, with puzzle solving in it. Yeah. So I, it's uh yeah. Grim Fandango was, is regarded as kind of his magnum opus. Like that game came out in 98, as I recall, uh, and the same year as Half-Life. And that was actually a big year for a lot of games, but yeah, Grim Fandango was, was got a lot of game of the year awards and, and deservedly so. Um, I was and five yes. when that came out. <laughs> don't make me, come on, you're making me feel old now. Don't do that. That's not, that's not okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick Tim story here before I move on to uh, trivia, before we get out of here. And as I've, I've always been a huge fan of Tim long before I was lucky enough to get into games media after college. And so, uh, you know, I, I, try to be very professional in my job. I love my job. I enjoy it. <laughs> I recognize that I get to 
write about video games and that's uh, a crazy thing that that I'm so lucky to get to do. So, but I do try to take it seriously and and treat it with the level of respect and professionalism that it that it deserves. But Tim Schafer was the first developer uh, in fact, really one, he's only one of two developers I've ever actually asked to sign something. I, I had kept my original full throttle box from 1996. Uh, Cause back then, especially LucasArts games had like really beautiful packaging, like great boxes mm-hmm. that games came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and the first time I met Tim early in my OXM days, I forget, it would have been for maybe brutal legend at that point. I don't remember, but, uh, I remember I asked him to sign my full throttle game box and it's somewhere it is put away somewhere. I should have it behind me now that I work from home, but uh, he was, he was very gracious. And if you're curious, the other one, Peter Molyneux, when Peter Molyneux came into IGN to do a bunch of, a bunch of stuff with us, I, I had him sign my fable Two game Xbox 360 game box. Cause I love that game, but yes, Tim Schafer rocks and congratulations to him on this. As we all agree overdue honor into the AIAS Hall of Fame. Uh, all right, quick Game Pass updates. I'll just blow through these. Coming up uh, this week, Madden hitting Game Pass, Madden 23 tomorrow, the 9th, uh, and then SD Gundam Battle Alliance tomorrow as well. Next Underrated. week, Good game. Mount, and, Mount and Blade 2 Bannerlord on Valentine's Day. City Ooh. Skylines Remastered, that's a good game. Uh, that's February 15th coming to the Series X and S, not Xbox One, uh, Series X and S and the Cloud, and then Shadow Warrior 3 Definitive Edition on the 16th Cloud Console PC, and then the big one for the month, uh, coming up the week of February 20th, specifically February 21st, Atomic Heart launching directly into Xbox Game Pass. We did an IGN first on this game in November. I have played this game, uh, and it is... It's uh, the first hour I played was exceptional. If if the rest of the game holds up to the first hour, it's going to be really really good and and another you know not exclusive but straight into Game Pass. So uh, keep your eye on that. All right, Gene, we do trivia around here every week, and the it's early <laughs> enough in the year where if you come back once or twice, you might win. You've got a chance. Uh, the standings, we only finally put points on the board last week. Miranda picked up a point, and she is uh, unfortunately not able to be on this week's show. And Destin has a point, and he's also out for a little while. So, uh, Stella, Cat, Gene, it's it's wide open here. Our Unlock Block trivia question this week comes from listener Brayden, whose Twitter handle is Brayden9669, asks the following, this is a good one. Which Halo game has never been released on PC? Was it Halo Reach, Halo 5, Halo Spartan Strike, or Halo Wars? I will go to our guest, Gene Park, first. Uh, it's Halo 5, definitely. Um, I, 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 own, I, I own all the games uh, besides Halo 5 on PC. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Gene, you're, you're, you're laying a path down. You're either... Uh, totally out of your mind, and and you're gonna lead Stella and Cat down a off a cliff like a, like <laughs> lemmings, or they're gonna fall right behind you with that confidence. So, Cat, uh, what's it gonna be? You're gonna st- go with Gene here, or do you have another game in mind? Not much of a Halo, but 
like looking at this list, I my first thought was, was it Halo Wars? Because I mean, it was made, they made such a big deal out of it being a console exclusive. But I mm. swear to God, that game came out on PC. So I will follow. I will be a lemming and follow Halo <laughs> Five. Watch me mm-hmm. be wrong. I, I I'm not sure about that, but I feel sure. <laughs> Stella, how about you? Well, lemmings are cute, first of all, and mm. second. Um, I actually, I think, I think I do know this one because I was looking at Steam on listings because I was looking at Halo Infinite and stuff. I think, I think it is Halo Five. Okay, so everybody's going. Gene came out very strong there. Yeah, both Cat and Stella following, uh, and so the only question is, were you all wise to follow him? And the answer is yes. Gene, you absolutely yeah. knew. You knew your stuff on that one. Absolutely, Halo Five did not come to PC. Interestingly enough, so uh, points weird, on the so... board all around. So yeah, strange. So if, you're, if you're following the Halo storyline, you're playing Master Chief Collection through four, and then you just go right to Infinite, which makes no sense. If that's, you yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Well, really Halo Five story five. makes no sense either. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you're better <laughs> off on PC. Either, yes. The fight was finished <laughs> with Halo Three. It was in the tagline. But did uh, people love Halo 5's multiplayer? Multiplayer is phenomenal. Yeah. It was very yes. good, actually. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Brayden, thank you very much for that excellent Xbox trivia question. And I welcome and encourage other listeners to send in your Xbox trivia questions so that I may pose the good ones to the panel as 2023 rolls on. So you can send those in by emailing me. The address is unlocked at IGN.com. Include the question. Include four multiple choice answers. And please note the correct answer in your email. You can optionally include your gamer tag if you'd like me to read that on the air, should I choose your question. And with that, we have reached the end of Podcast Unlocked, episode 581. Gene, it was so great to do a podcast with you, to get to, to chat with you face-to-face here. And I now that everybody knows you a little better and likes you a lot more than they, I'm sure, already <laughs> liked you, give yourself a plug. Where can people find you? What are you up to? You're, uh, you're thankfully still at the Washington Post. Uh, it's uh, been, a, been, a, been a tough go um, for a lot of media, the Washington Post included, and I'm, I'm so glad you're still there. So tell us, tell us where we can read your stuff and, and follow you. Yeah, you can still find me on WashingtonPost.com. If you just Google Washington Post and Gene Park, you'll find my author page, and you can find all my coverage there. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Gene Park. And yes, I am the sole survivor of a, of a massive uh, uh, layoff of video games coverage at the Washington Post. And uh, I wish I could bring my team with me. Yeah, it's uh, all all of the games media, all games media, and just the gaming community suffers when when these when yeah. when professional journalists are are no longer able to to be professional journalists. It's just not a, not a healthy thing for our industry. Uh, Kat, where can folks find you? Yeah, Gene, I just want to say really quickly that Shannon and Nathan and you and everybody else over at Launcher did just an incredible job and y'all should be incredibly proud of what you managed to accomplish in just a couple of years. So uh, really heartbreaking, uh, really sad. Um, my condolences to all of you, um, real loss, but as for where you can follow me, I'm over on Twitter at the underscore catbot. I'm also on Nintendo Voice Chat on Thursdays. That's our Nintendo podcast. <laughs> and finally, I also have my own podcast that's focused around role-playing games. That's Acts of the Blood God, which comes out every Monday. Ooh. Fantastic. Big day on 
the Nintendo side as well. As we record oh, yeah. this, we are we are about uh, ninety five minutes away from a highly anticipated oh. Nintendo Direct. So put that Tears of the Kingdom right into my veins. Let's go. <laughs> it's it's probably yeah, it's it's coming. It's happening. It's that seventy dollar price point up oh, on the Nintendo eShop. <laughs> Good luck up. with that, Nintendo. Here we go, <laughs> Stella. Uh, what are you up to? Where can folks find you? Yeah. Oh my God. So every single live service game that we have talked about has decided to launch their next season like next week. So I'm like frantically scrambling to get every deadline done. But you can find me at Parallax Stella on Twitter, everywhere else. Um, I recently did an exclusive interview with Respawn about the future of Apex and what that means. Um, and I did ask the long asked question of whether or not they will eventually stop making legends and the answer is yes so go watch the interview to see more um but yeah it, i'm basically just scrambling to talk about overwatch modern warfare 2 uh apex i'm probably forgetting something else but yeah a lot of stuff oh valorant so please send help <laughs> <laughs> it's a busy uh, year that's for sure yeah it's sure. uh i guess i guess having a lot of games to cover is a, is, a, is a good problem to have if you've got to have a problem with, with your video game life. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. Big thing is, again, as I mentioned at the top, Mitchell Saltzman and I got to go to Respawn, so we have our IGN first coverage rolling out all February long for Star Wars Jedi Survivor, so keep an eye out for that, starting with the nine minutes of gameplay that is up right now, if you have not seen that. With that said, this has been Unlocked 581. I want to thank Tayo producing behind the scenes so smoothly and effortlessly to make this video show possible. It's four people dialing in from four totally different places, and it you know it comes across so perfectly and smoothly. So thank you so much, Tayo. And thanks to all of you for watching and listening. With that, we shall return next week for another episode. See you then.